Disney's fiscal Q1 2023 reported DTC subscriber gains were weak and ARPU was down. What's more, Disney will slash content spending by $3 billion. After Disney Plus's fast start, the company's DTC future seems murky. Listen on to find out why. this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media. Hey, Colin, you gearing up for the Super Bowl this Sunday? I am I'm really looking forward to it. Should be a should be a good game, but uh, why don't the, I'm going to be kind of working through the game, Will. I'm going to be doing my usual focused on the quality. I'll be watching through three or four different services, looking at latency, and I'm working with my friends at SimWave to assess the quality of all the different streaming options. So uh, if people are interested, interested, they should check out my website early in the week, and I'll have a report there incorporating SimWave's data and my assessment as well of the quality of the delivery. That's great. I haven't read yet, but I saw a headline in the Wall Street Journal earlier today. We're recording on Thursday afternoon, of course, as we typically do, uh, an article talking about the discrepancy, the latency, essentially, between streaming and broadcast and um, trying to explain why that is. So listeners may want to check that out. You may want to take a peek at it also. It sounds like it feeds into the experience that you'll be monitoring. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, Will, because um, I also saw some data that suggested that 22% of people say they're going to watch streaming yeah. this time. So that would be well over 20 million, uh, probably 25 million people who are watching streaming. So we'll have to see if that materializes and I'll, yeah. I'll be assessing that as well yeah. later in the week next week. Do you happen to know by chance what last year's streaming number was offhand? So I think I put the number at about uh, 10 million homes. So more than um, double. So more than double this year is what you're saying, potentially. Yeah, yeah, because um, one of the things that when they do report on the streaming numbers, they don't include the virtual MVPDs. Though They roll those oh, virtual right. MVPDs right. In, into traditional. And so what I do is I take the time to extract them and uh, get a real total of homes that actually watch the game through a, a streaming medium. So uh, that, that's, you know, that's what I do. Great. Well, look, we haven't even gotten to our news items yet, not to mention our main story this week. So I think you are going to get us started on the news side. I am, Will, and uh, I, I've got to tell you, this gave me a degree of satisfaction this week. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that insiders close to this Warner Brothers Discovery say that the company has realized the folly of discontinuing Dis Discovery Plus and that it will continue to exist as a standalone product that people can subscribe to. And uh, the reasoning being that, lo and behold, they figured out that people that were paying $4.99 for Discovery Plus would not be pleased if they were now asked to spend $10 or even $15 just to get HBO Max. So they realized that they would lose probably a good proportion of their 20 million or so subscribers to Discovery Plus were they to do that. And of course, <laughs> I was beating that drum for the last year. So as soon as I heard Gunnar Weidenfels say this, 
back, I think it was all the way back in March of last year, I was all over this saying it was a bad idea. So anyway, then apparently they're not going to do it now. Yeah, I think um, you absolutely deserve some kudos about this topic because as you said, you have indeed been beating that drum for a while. And I'll admit that I was kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt <laughs> periodically. Our listeners might remember periodically saying that I just had to believe that they had done the analysis internally to determine that this bundling strategy was the way to go, notwithstanding that I shared your skepticism that it was that it was indeed the right thing to do. But sure enough, as you said, news this week that they are going to keep Discovery Plus as a standalone option suggests that whatever analysis was done, whenever it was done, was either not a complete analysis or it was an analysis that was ignored by the powers that be or some other influence became more important. But whatever the reason or reasons are, the benefit is that all these Discovery Plus subs who have no interest in HBO Max or paying far more than they're currently paying for Discovery Plus will be able to just keep Discovery Plus. Yep, yep, that's the benefit, Will. But I've got to tell you, they're still screwing up in a couple of other ways. But uh, I won't, I won't go into that now. If people are interested in that, they should check out. I, I have a po- podcast I did yesterday on that, so they can find that in their favorite podcast manager. Just look for End Screen Media or End Screen Noise. That's the name of that podcast, and I talk about that in some detail there. Well, Well, now, Colin, it's fair enough to tease um, our listeners to go check out something else on your website, but I think it's a little bit unfair to throw something like that out there without actually putting a little bit more substance behind it. So if you're not going to do it, then I am, which is that (laughs) we also are learning that Warner Brothers Discovery is planning to launch a fast channel, free ad-supported TV channel. And our listeners will remember that we just talked about last week, the idea of uh, fast leading to slow SVOD losses on the way, and that part of the thesis of that was Warner Brothers Discovery licensing Westworld and other movies and films to both the Roku channel and Tubi. And you have to believe that those conversations were going on about licensing their content to unrelated third parties while launching their own fast at the same time and worrying about growing subs to their paid services. So I'm not going to use the word you use to characterize the uh, state of affairs there, but it does leave one's head spinning somewhat about what is exactly going on over there at Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah, you've got to believe that there was somebody in there saying, wait, we need that Westworld stuff because, boy, I mean, this week, it, it, it fast continues to get extremely competitive, Will. Two more fast platforms this week. We had one from Sling. Sling's productized its its free stuff. And Hisense has released Vidya, Vidya its, its free streaming service, into a fast platform and released that more broadly. Boy, it's going to be tough for them. And they could really have done with that Westworld content, I think, in their own free service to give it a competitive advantage. Well, to your point, they would have done nicely having Westworld in their own fast. 
but I suspect they feel they're doing even nicer still by collecting those licensing revenues from Tubi and the Roku channel to help pay down their debt immediate, more immediately. Yeah, I think that's probably what's at the bottom of this, Will, taking the short-term gain for the long-term hit. So, uh, but, but anyway, I think that's probably enough about Discovery. What's your big, uh, what's your big news this week? You've been traveling, right? I was. I was actually in New York yesterday for NBC Universal's uh, 123 event that host, is hosted by Linda Yaccarino and her group. And uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but first, just want to give that team at NBC Universal big kudos because it was a really, really well-run and well-produced event, uh, the kind of thing that you would expect of a, of a first-class company like NBC Universal. And beyond sort of the style, if you will, of the event, I thought the substance was really great, and I found myself really agreeing with a lot of the vision and the products that they were outlining. And at the core of it is really, I think, a big emphasis going forward on the intersection of advertising and commerce and the idea of essentially CTV advertising turning into a full funnel medium, which you and I have talked about many times on this podcast, and which listeners know I'm a big, big believer in. And NBC Universal is putting a lot of pieces in place, investing very heavily to essentially marry up the data that they have internally on their viewers, their, their own first party data, with the first party data that their advertisers bring to the table, marrying that data up and then developing capabilities for viewers to be able to act on those ads, have them essentially lead to conversion, attributable conversion right there and then. And, and this, of course, is the playbook that the digital digital platforms like Google and Facebook have been so, so successful at doing. And it's clear that NBC Universal is really putting a lot of elbow grease now into trying to achieve a similar type of model. So. I thought all that was great, and another real highlight I thought of the afternoon was a presentation by Deborah Wall, who is the global CMO of General Motors, and even as NBCU and others are leaning into this intersection of advertising and commerce, the kind of shoppable full funnel model, GM itself is leaning very heavily into electric vehicles, as some of our listeners probably know. And Deborah outlined how they're making 30, approximately $35 billion in investments in EVs. And she walked through, a, I thought, a very methodical, very logical process that GM is trying to take consumers through in terms of adopting this new technology, which is what EVs really are. They're trying to drive EVs into the mainstream beyond the early adopters. And I thought she was very persuasive about what GM is doing and more specifically how they're working with NBC Universal to activate some of these new capabilities that NBCU is bringing to the table. And uh, I, you know, I thought it really, it, you know, there's a lot of execution that remains to, to happen, but from a vision standpoint, I thought it all made a ton of sense and is, I think, EVs, the marketing challenge of EVs 
intersects very nicely with the evolving capabilities of connected TV advertising. And so I think that's going to be a really interesting trend to watch as we go forward. And, and the last, the very last thing I'll say about Deborah's presentation about the NBC 123 event is that Deborah also shared a new LeBron James ad for the Hummer EV featuring the animated <laughs> crabs because of course the Hummer EV is, has this clever little thing where it can do this quote unquote crab walk. And uh, I, I thought the ad was just absolutely fantastic. It just push, pushes every single button. And I don't know who the agency is who created it for GM, um, for Hummer, but I, I thought it was really terrific. And so I don't know if that's going to be a Super Bowl ad or what the deal is. I searched for it online and I have not found it in YouTube, which suggests that it has not yet been released and that it might indeed be their Super Bowl ad. But we'll wait and see. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I like that uh, Poker Face ad that is yes. going to fe feature yes. Natasha Leone. You know, yes. I love that show. And I it's watched, a, it's a yeah. It's a, it's a funny ad. I, um, a funny you know, ad. one thing that I really liked there, Will, maybe you can just, just spend a couple of couple of seconds talking about it. I was really impressed with the in-flight optimization that, offer, that they're offering in Linear. I thought that that was pretty, pretty cool, what they're doing there, actually using multiple you can use multiple currencies to yeah. uh, optimize the the ad buys as you go yeah yeah I, I, I probably should have mentioned that as well another big emphasis of the afternoon was on multi currencies multiple currencies and how the industry needs to adapt to be able to transact on these various currencies and that that's actually a big focus of this so-called joint industry committee that NBC, you and others are a part of. And they actually had a nice panel discussion about what they're trying to do with um, Stephanie Rule from CNBC moderating. And that, that's a bigger thing that I, I don't think we have time to get into today, but sort of suffice to say that the industry, again, I think is recognizing that they need to bring some order to the currency and measurement world. They can't have just, you know, infinite numbers of currencies out. Not even, they're not even currencies, infinite numbers of measurement uh, paths out there. And so they're trying to bring some order to that. And this JIC is meant to do that. And, and also, Con, I just wanted to mention quickly, we don't lose the thread on how CTV is evolving to be a full funnel medium at Video News's CTV advertising preview event on February 28th, you're actually going to be moderating a great session focused on that very topic. And you've, you have a really terrific group of panelists. You have Eric Smith, who heads up the verticals business at Roku, uh, a woman named Olga Weinraub, who is in uh, Cox at Cox Automotive Group and Roku and Cox just signed a really interesting partnership last week. You also have the CEO of Whirl, Sean Doherty, who both of us know very well. And your fourth panelist is Jen Sock from Group M, who oversees the channels business there for their clients. So you have a, a really great group there that I expect you're, you guys are really going to get into the weeds of how CTV is evolving to be full funnel. Yeah, yeah, that looks like a really, really good session, Will. So I hope people can join us. I just wanted to just mention one thing. Uh, I was looking through the press release from the NBCU event that you, 123, that you attended yesterday. And 
the interesting thing was there was lots of talk about data currencies and measurement currencies. I did not see Nielsen mentioned once. So <laughs> just a well, really interesting also, changing also, of the guard moment. <laughs> and I can tell you that the N-word was never mentioned a single time on stage yesterday either. I think, wow. the, uh, I think the clear message is that the industry is moving on and they're essentially done looking backwards, trying to adapt. They're taking matters into their own hands and they just can't wait anymore. That, that was my yeah. interpretation. Yeah. Anyway, we're 15 minutes in and we still haven't even gotten to our main topic, which is a huge topic unto itself. So <laughs> yes, it is. take it away. Uh, well, Disney announced their fiscal Q1 2023, which is calendar Q4. So we get to look at how uh, the DDC business did in 2022 for Disney, finally. And I got to tell you, Will, for a... a Q4 or fiscal Q1, which is usually, should usually be a very strong one. The holiday for, quarter. The holiday quarter. Yeah, way. it's the holiday quarter, right? So yeah. what would you expect? We saw Netflix do pretty well in Q4. I would have expected Disney to do pretty well. They did not. There was barely a change in domestic Disney Plus subscribers. They inched up just 200,000. Overall, Disney Plus lost subscribers in the quarter for the first time, dropped to 168 point, uh, 161.8 million from 164.2 million. Now, overall, Disney, Disney Plus has still grown. It did grow 9% in subscribers in 2022. Uh, but uh, th that's that's pretty poor performance in Q4. It was kind of the same for ESPN Plus and Hulu too. Hulu barely grew, just 2% growth in both its SVOD only and live TV plus SVOD groups. That's 43.5 million and 4.5 million respectively. And ESPN, ESPN grew, well, very small growth there too, 2% 2 up 600,000. But the bad news just keeps coming for the DTC business, DTC business, Will. Uh, the ARPU, I was looking at the ARPU and it is pretty grim. ARPU fell at Disney Plus in the US from $6.10, $6.10 to $5.95 um, and that's really disappointing performance. It did inch up overall, but that was because of gains in international markets and it was a very minor gain. Get this, the ARPU for Disney Plus overall is just $3.93. And there was a, it was a bit better at ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus, of course, jacked up the price significantly in Q4 of last year from, I think it was $6 to nine uh, to $10. And that increased from $4.84 to $5.53. And Hulu, right, disappointing again, Will. Hulu SVOD, the ARPU was down from $12.75 to $12.46. And Disney in the earnings call actually pointed to continued advertising weakness for the problems with Hulu, that uh, that's, that's where that came from. So 
All in all, I gotta say, well, very disappointing performance in their DDC businesses. And um, I, I suppose to sort of catapult us into a discussion of where the company's going, I listened to the earnings call. It was a pretty interesting Bob Iger's first earnings call since his return. Uh, and he did actually talk quite a lot about uh, succession planning. So he really is only going to be there for a couple of years until they can find somebody. He did talk quite a lot about the D2C business. And one of the things that he said was that the company had really... Uh, focused on subscriber growth which was what the market was telling them, them that they should do but in order to do that they had made compromises in pricing and promotions that they are now reviewing very very closely uh, and uh, you know that uh, I've been actually very critical of the way that Disney has been recognizing subscribers because they've been counting one subscriber of the bundle as one subscriber to each of the services that compose the bundle so that I think this kind of distorts the subscriber picture anyway but uh, anyway we are not going to get to see subscribers anymore apparently Mr Iger says that they will not report subscriber growth or subscriber changes to the D2C services that they provide anymore uh, and they are going to be reviewing very closely pricing and promotions. Don't know what that means for pricing overall. They've just instituted a big price increase to the individual products. I suspect we'll see the bundle pricing going up as well uh, and different promotions going on too. So they're changing their approach to promotions. Yeah, so let me just add a couple of quick items to that overview and then let's get into it a little bit, Colin. I don't think you mentioned that they're also, they also announced that they're cutting 7,000 jobs. Oh, I didn't. They're cutting 7,000 jobs. They're taking a five and a half billion dollar charge and they're planning to restore their dividend. All things that of course Wall Street loves to see. And that cutting the jobs is another, uh, is just yet another example of big companies announcing layoffs and for those of you i'm not going to rant now but for those of uh, you who have <laughs> had side conversations with me in the past month or so you know that i am just so disturbed by this trend toward cutting thousands of jobs in order to preserve some target margin or net income profitability the worst offender to me was alphabet that announced it was cutting 12,000 jobs and then in practically the same breath announced operating income in 2022 of 75 billion dollars basically flat with the 79 billion in operating profit that they had reported in 2021 the prior year yet they still felt compelled to cut 12,000 jobs um, and rather than kind of hang keep those people on board uh, until the ad spending world changed and the economy bounced back a little bit but here, Disney is doing the exact same thing as all these other companies are doing. They're basically throwing people overboard, a lot of whom no doubt have been with the company for a long time in the spirit of essentially pleasing Wall Street, which is just the influence is just incredible, always been incredible, but now even more so. But, but that's a whole separate issue. In addition, Colin, they, as you said, did have declining ARPU, but 
ARPU is forecast now to go up in the second quarter as the price increases that they've instituted get fully layered in and uh, result in better comps. They also mentioned that the Disney Plus advertising tier would likely have no material impact financially until later in fiscal year 24. They also announced that they're reducing their content budget by $3 billion per year. Didn't really specify where that's going to come from, other than to say that they're going to curate more carefully. As you mentioned, they're not going to report subscribers anymore. And last but hardly least, in the analyst Q&A session, Bob Iger said, and this is what you and I have talked about so many times on this podcast, the direct quote from Iger was, quote, the streaming business, which I believe is the future and has been growing, is not delivering basically the kind of profitability or bottom line results that the linear business delivered for us over a few decades, unquote. And Iger is essentially saying right there what all of us know, which is that the pay TV business model was completely artificial. It was lots and lots of channels bundled in that very few people watched, and yet the pay TV operator was able to charge for. It was a lot of different sports channels, ESPN at the top of the list that a minority of viewers watched yet had flowing into their monthly bills and their price increases on a yearly basis. And it all created artificial economics. And the internet has now fully rolled through that business and is leading to this huge cord cutting that we're seeing. And every ship now essentially has to find its own bottom, as the quote goes. And Iger was, I think, essentially signaling to the market that as much as they'll try, and they certainly will try to get the business to be as profitable as possible, anybody who's expecting the business to be as profitable as it was in the past is delusional. It's just not going to happen. There's, there's no world in which the streaming business is going to be as profitable as the traditional pay TV business was. And uh, that's, I think, something that a lot of folks in the industry have not yet, they may understand it, but they, they haven't yet kind of fully internalized it. I think, I think that's absolutely true, Will. Uh, it, it really shows that ultimately the pay TV model became very consumer unfriendly. The price that we were being asked to pay for the content that we actually ended up watching was too high. It was simply too high. And uh, so this, the DDC market, one of the things that I've always looked forward to was exactly what is happening now, which is consumers have the say. They decide if Disney Plus is worth $6.99 a month. They, they make that decision every month. And I think that's a very healthy thing. Um, there were a couple of things that you said that I did wanted to come, did want to come back at. I know that Disney is very confident that with the price increases, they're going to see increases in ARPU. 
I don't think they'll see as big an increase as you might expect. Listen, the price increases were pretty high. For example, if you were a Disney Plus subscriber, just a Disney Plus subscriber, you were paying $6.99 a month and you were watching ad-free. Well, now you're paying $6.99 a month and watching with ads. And if you want to continue to watch without ads, you're paying $10.99 a month. So ostensibly, that should be a big increase. Unfortunately, well, or, or maybe this was deliberate at the time, they did not really change the pricing of the bundle. So the incentive now to join the bundle, if you're using two or more of these Disney, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus or Hulu services is much higher. And I think that a lot of people who are being asked to make that choice will either stay watching Disney ad free or join the bundle, in which case the way they are currently allocating the ARPU, the, the revenue that's generated by that bundle, um, I, I really don't think that they will see anywhere like the increase in the ARPU that they're expecting uh, because of that. So I'm not confident that the ARPU will go up as much or uh, it'll go up a little, but probably not as much as they're expecting and could be why I think they may, may end up adjusting the prices of the bundles next year because they're probably going to want to push them up. Um, the, the other thing was I did forget to mention was that um, Bob Iger was asked pretty directly about ESPN. Uh, is the company going to sell ESPN? And he said, absolutely not. The ESPN was a brand that was synonymous with Disney. It was very important to the brand. It was a core brand that they, that they can, will continue to invest in. Recognizing this change from traditional to streaming, um, ESPN Plus is very important. Mr. Iger said when ESPN Plus launched, he viewed it as being a hub for, for sports fans online online and I think he still sees it that although the way sports rights are getting divided up I don't know if it's achievable and he he actually was asked fairly directly about when they would start transferring some of the properties that are exclusive to ESPN to ESPN plus I was a little confused by this question because they've already done a lot of that a lot of the stuff that's available on ESPN is also available on ESPN plus but basically what he said was no that they would that the linear business was still a very good business for them and that they would make those changes over time as they made sense as they made economic sense so it sounds like that they're going to maintain a bifurcated world at least for the foreseeable future with ESPN and ESPN plus uh, but it's staying inside of Disney well you and I talked about how ESPN is getting squeezed from all sides on last week's podcast. So listeners already know <laughs> what our feelings are about ESPN and the questions that arise about whether Disney should be hanging on to it. Uh, but I would say, Colin, that notwithstanding anything that Bob Iger said yesterday about how much he's committed to keeping ESPN, he'll say that until the day that they sell ESPN off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of <laughs> Just the same way that Warner Brothers Discovery said uh, we plan to force Discovery Plus subscribers into a bundle with HBO Max until the day they said they're not going to do that anymore. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah. We, we know that we know over time that a CEO mysteriously seems to change their strategy on a dime. Something that they were dyed in the wool committed on yesterday becomes a completely different thing today. Yeah. So anyway, that's so it sounds like lots of change at yes. Disney. Um, I'm not happy about the fact that uh, they are laying off so many people. Uh, it seems very short-sighted to me and seems like they've got a lot of growth to come. There were some bright spots for the quarter as well. They did extremely well in uh, in the parks and the movies. Mr. Iger was really excited that Nielsen, I think it was Nielsen, released top 10, top 10 lists or top 15 lists of streamed properties. And, and it turns out Netflix completely dominated the list of TV programs, but Disney dominated the list of movies. I think 10 out of the top 15 streamed movies in 2022 were Disney movies. So he was crowing about that. That said, he did say that they were going to, I think, I think he said that they were going to cut 3 billion from their uh, content budgets, right? That's what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So where that's going to come from, it's not clear. They, I think they, they said they were spending thirty billion, so that means that would come down to twenty-seven billion. I don't know where they're going to take that out of will, but could damage Disney Disney Plus further if they don't ha- don't maintain the content flow into that uh, yeah. DTC service that really they really need to keep people. Well, we need to just about wrap up, Colin. But back yeah. on your point about the uh, employee reductions uh, being short-sighted, I I completely agree with you, and I. I think at the risk of uh, mixing politics in here, I, I think anybody who's still walking around with any delusion that there's a so-called social contract between employer and employee in tech companies, media companies, whatever, uh, that this last month or so has completely destroyed that delusion. And it's just, as I said earlier, disturbing to see companies like Alphabet Disney, Microsoft, Salesforce, Facebook, Meta, the list goes on and on and on, cutting anywhere between three and five, six, seven percent of their workforce simply because I, I think that Wall Street has essentially said this is what we expect and you can't you can't disappoint them. So um, we're not going to solve that problem today, nor are we going to solve any other problems today. We certainly are. <laughs> but we will but we will at least comment on the problems. <laughs> yeah. Seems short-sighted. These a lot of these people are skilled people. Even those people working in the parks are fairly skilled people, right? So, I don't know. I guess they they're pretty confident they can rehire them later. Yeah. But I guess you, as you say, we're just about out of time today. I think we are. So great chatting as always, Colin. And thanks everybody for listening in this week. And we'll see you all again next week on Inside the Stream. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.